Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halastic, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range. And I can't tell you how important it is for businesses to have a line of credit so they can make an investment in their business or even for unexpected emergencies. Our line of credit program is easy to get in place, inexpensive when used, and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash backup plan. If you'd like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Or give us a call at 862-207-4118. If you apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. And just remember, the time to set up a line of credit is when you don't need it. So that when you do need it, it is ready to go. And because it doesn't cost anything to set it up, and unless it's not being used, it, it, it just makes it complete sense to have it in place just in case. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Devin Miller from Miller IP Law. Devin is a patent attorney that lives in Utah. As Devin worked for a large law firm helping Fortune 100 clients with their intellectual property, he realized that there was not a good resource out there to help startups and small businesses understand intellectual property, including patents, trademarks, and copyrights. As a small business owner, Devin wanted to provide a resource for startups and small businesses where they can learn about patents, trademarks, and copyrights, and how they relate to their businesses to help small business owners like himself build value into the business and protect their assets. Today, I am very excited to to, uh, welcome Devin Miller to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Uh, So today's topic, uh, you know, which I think is a very, you know, great topic is patents, trademarks, and copyrights, protecting and growing a business. Um, from your experience, companies that have uh, patent, trademarks, and copyrights and are a, you know, a good business, are they more valuable than ones that don't? I would say, you know, it always, the answer is always, it depends, but I would say on average, yeah, I think that there's a lot of value and you can oftentimes derive that from patents and trademarks. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't put your business plan as just, hey, we're going to go get a patent or a trademark and that's going to be the sole value of our business. And we're just going to be having people banging down our doors to take a license from us. That's not a good business model. So it's not just a, hey, go out and get a patent or trademark and you're set. But if you if you look at it and say, this is a way to further protect our business and grow it as we're doing the other things that you should do with your business, then absolutely, it continues to build that value in and continues to provide growth opportunities um, as you continue to, to build out the business. Yeah, the biggest mistake I see that people make, <clears throat> um, they... I happen to have firsthand experience with understanding a patent litigation. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, one of my close friends had a major patent um, and he had a couple, three of them. And uh, they were, they were infringed upon mm-hmm. and he went and um, he, he had, a, he went after the companies. And what most people don't quite understand is just because you have a patent, doesn't mean that someone's 
not going to infringe upon it. And then if they do, and when they do, you need to have about, well, what what I saw was about $300,000 to be able to successfully litigate against the patent. And that was, you know, so, you know, it's just a misnomer out there that people think if I have a patent, you know, from a protecting something in my company standpoint, that no one's going to go after, no one's going to infringe upon it. Is that your experience? Yeah, I mean, I think that the short answer is, yeah, I mean, if you get into, if you get into the actual lawsuit, go through litigation, you can easily be in the six to seven figure range, you know, upwards of a million dollars to go through a, a full, you know, asserting your patent. Now, does that mean that you should just always plan on a million dollars if, you know, is the only value to your patent is you're going to have to go sue someone for a million dollars every time they rip it off? Well, no, there are other values that build into it, but you do have to kind of do an analysis when you're looking at it for your businesses to where is this going, what value is this going to provide and how is this going to actually impact your business? And so, you know, a lot of times people, there's generally kind of two areas that patents are going to be valuable for your business. One is kind of more on the defensive end and one I'd say is more on the offensive end. So if you're to look at defensive, this is just simply, yep, to your point, hey, somebody comes along, they knock off my product, they infringe my patent, and I'm going to go sue them into smithereens because we, you know, they're impacting our business, which is definitely, you know, one of the reasons why you go get a patent. If you're saying, hey, we're investing millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars, we're looking to build a business and somebody comes along and rips it off and negatively impacts and undercuts us on price, then we need to go and assert it against them. Now, the other place a lot of times you look at it is more on the building the business portion of it, which it tends to get a bit overlooked or, or, or not looked as in closely. And that is in the sense of, you know, what is the, your plan for your business? In the end of the day, are you going to look to make an exit? What is the valuation going to be based on for your exit? Are you looking to get licensing deals? Are you looking to have a bit of mutually assured destruction? In other words, yes, there may be patents that you have. Your competitors have other patents. And if you don't have anything, they have a whole bunch. They can come take you under. But if they say, hey, we both have things that we can assert against each other, then it gets to be, well, then we may, we not, or may not want to go after each other because it will both kind of go down. Another one is, do you want to get into licensing? Do you want to get into franchising? All of those things kind of impacting. So it's not just, hey, am I just protecting the business? But it's an opportunity to build value into the business, capture that, depending on what your strategy is for the business. And so to your point, yeah, if you're looking at just, hey, I'm going to go through, I'm going to assert it, go through the full court process, you're looking to or go through an expensive process. Now, there are other ways that you can go about doing that. And and that doesn't require as much cost, depending, again, on what your end goal is. And and let's clarify to our listeners, when we talk about, when I said $300,000, that's the legal fees that you will, at a minimum, have to incur to defend your uh, patent in general, okay? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, in this case with my friend, there were three different companies that infringed on his patent, and they were huge public companies who have patent attorneys on their payroll and right. you know he needed to go he ends up spending a lot more than that but and he won and he won significantly um yeah and, so, and that's a lot of some of the analysis you do is hey are these are if if i go after these companies and they don't have any money is it worthwhile to go after them? in other words if they're a small small and pop or startup or small business and i can go take them to court and i can and, and take them out 
But at the end of the day, they're not going to make any money. And I'm going to go spend more on legal fees and the amount that I could ever get or the amount that they're going to, uh, you know, uh, be detrimental to my business. It doesn't make sense to go after them. But what you can a lot of times do is also you can look and say, hey, do they maybe want to take a license? Do they want to, if I reach out to them, is there a collaboration? Maybe they weren't aware of our intellectual property. And if I make them aware, they're going to be more amenable to changing and adjusting. So I think that it is you look and say, hey, they're big companies. They're well-funded. I've got to be willing to go the distance. And if, if I know I'm in the right, and I can, it's going to be beneficial to the business in the long run. Go make that decision and go after them. But on the other hand, you're saying, no, this isn't going to have the return on my business. It's going to be negative impacting. Let's see if there's a more amicable way. And I think you have to weigh each of those different options as you're looking at how you're going to leverage your intellectual property. Yeah. And the flip side, which, you know, which, we're, which you mentioned too, that we want to talk about over the last 15 years with angel funding uh, and venture capital being such a big player in um, now how companies are funding themselves. Um, then having a patent becomes a more of an asset if you've built, if you're building and built something that has the potential to really take off like big bucks, right? Like, you know, in the 30, 40, $50 million range, um, you know, then, but just keep in mind uh, from my experience in, in angel funding that, they're going to pick through your patent. The angel funders are going to pick through your patent as well. Now they're going to really want to see, is this really going to stand up? Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, I'd say that's, that's a good takeaway. I mean, it, it, one depends on the funds. I'll say some funds, they don't care about intellectual property. Now, I think they're the minority and some are just going to say, nope, we just really look for the team. We look for the business. Is it making money? How quick of an exit can we make? And if we can get out in two years, we don't care what intellectual I would say they're in the minority, but you are going to run into those. But the vast majority, they're going to, they're looking at protecting their downside, right? In other words, they're saying, okay, we're going to give you X amount, you know, a million dollars, $5 million, pick your number, $300,000, whatever that might be. I think I say now a lot of what, for a lot of startups, not all of them, depending on your business, a lot of what you have is it's a good idea. You have a business behind it, you have experience and you're going to be building it. And yet, how do you protect a lot of what is that knowledge and that time, money and effort or time and work and effort to build something? Because at the end of the day, it's a little bit like a magic trick in the sense that once you know how the magic trick's done, it's easier to do it again, right? So once somebody figures something out, it's much easier to knock off. And so when, the, when you get into angel cap or angel investors or venture capital, they're going to say, how do I protect our downside? Well, one is, you know, they're going to look at the team and they're going to say, is the team the high, you know, experience and they've done this before and teams make a big difference into success of the company. They're going to say, you know, what experience do you have? And they're also going to say, what do you have proprietary with your business and how are you going to protect it? And that's where they're going to say, well, if there's this, is, you're going to say, well, this is what makes us different. This is what makes us proprietary. We're going to agree. We have this great idea for a new technology. We're going to go out and build it. It's going to be much different in the marketplace. It's going to give us an advantage. And then they're going to say, great. That is a great technology. Now, how do you protect that? And that's where a lot of times your intellectual property, whether it's patents, if it's an invention or trademarks, if it's more of a branding and something of that nature, are going to say that's where we go about protecting it. And they say, okay, now we have something that's a physical, tangible asset, a patent or a trademark or that, that in the eventuality that there is a downside or we have to secure it against something, we have something to secure it against. And so a lot of times they're going to say, yeah, that we want something in place. And then to your point, a lot of times if you have 
patents, they're going to do a due diligence. They're going to go and look and see how well is the patent crafted? Is there any value? How far along in the process is it? Is it a provisional patent application, a non-provisional? Is it pending? Is it not pending? Is it already issued as a patent? And they're going to say, depending on what the status of the patent, they're going to assign different values, just like any other value of the business. They're going to say, how much inventory you have? Well, do you have $10,000 of inventory? Do you have $100,000 of inventory? Guess what? They have a different value. Same thing with a good and strong intellectual property portfolio or very weak or very, you know, very early on a portfolio. They're going to say it has a difference in value that they can look at as an asset of the business. In your experience, what does it take to, um, how much does it take? How much money does it take to, to get a patent? Um, what, what, what is like the range? Yeah. I mean, if you were to take, I can I always kind of put it in two buckets. You have the East coast, West coast, very expensive law firms that are, you pay the very top of the mark. And so I don't know that most of the time you get the value for what you pay, but those are, you know, I put those and then I kind of put the average or more normal form. And then the firms that are going to be cut rate that you probably don't want to go to because they're not going to provide value. And so you can always find those kind of three if you as you go out and look at them. And I usually say the middle where you're getting good experience, a good attorney, but you don't have to have that big law firm name stamped on there, then that's probably your best point. So if you're to go take a East Coast, West Coast or high high end, very expensive law firm, you're probably upwards of thirty to forty thousand to get a patent. Don't recommend it, think you're overpaying, but that's what you'd be looking at. If you're to take an average law firm, you know, take our law firm, Miller IP Law or something of that nature, you're typically in the range of twelve to 15000 which is, I think, probably where you should be looking at and what you should be budgeting towards. Now, that's through the whole process, not just up front, but that's spread out over as, you, as you're going through the process of getting your patent. If you wanted to go find just a cut rate, hey, we've got someone that's not going to do a good job, but they won't be very expensive and they're just going to get it done as quickly as possible and and, and those type of things. You can probably get it for the $8,000 range, but you're also going to look and see what is the value of your business. What you're trying to do is you say, where does it that I get a good patent that's valuable that or secures what it, or what I need that will stand up, withstand due diligence and, and, and whatnot without having to go spend through the nose. And that's kind of where you're looking for that middle ground. But those would be kind of your three benchmarks as to what you can anticipate paying, depending on kind of where or what type of law firm you're looking at. You know, it, I think a lot of business people, um, we don't know, we don't know, a lot of business owners don't know very much about patents, right? And so you kind of just think, I know what happened was 25 years ago or so I applied for a patent with a patent attorney mm -hmm. and I had, I, I had this idea something called an e-resume where uh, it, I wanted to have an electronic resume that like kind of talked and, you know, someone could have a, an interview a video on it. Someone could have, you know, it, it was more, you know, uh, uh, what's the right word? Interactive, um, more multimedia oriented. So I went to a patent attorney to, um, to, 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 you know, to patent it. Cause the first thing is I knew nothing about patents and I was like, okay. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, I just, uh, I thought it would make my company more valuable than I had at the time. 
I thought it was another avenue for me to pursue something in the future. Uh, I thought it was a good idea. I wanted to protect it. And so then I just, and I had the money. So I just said, okay, uh, you know, let me go get this patented. Okay. And, and, uh, and I think trademark too, as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I went and, you know, it caught the, the attorney started off and this is a long time ago. So the sure. patent attorney, who was a patent attorney, he, uh, he kind of like did a, I guess it's, I, I, is it called a patent review where patent he search. goes? Yeah. Patent search. And I think at the time it cost like $8,000 to do that. Ooh. Just to do All that right. stuff, right? It wasn't a small firm. Uh, it was just mm-hmm. one guy. And, uh, you know, he kind of came back to me and said, yeah, it's, you know. So the first thing was, like, I don't think I knew at the time that there was going to be a lot more to do. I think I thought at the time, again, I, I, I think, I, you know, I was very young and inexperienced. And I just thought, okay, well, we'll do this and then I'll be ready to go. And then I realized there was all these other steps that are involved after that. And I didn't realize that, you know, there's these little nuances to patents too that can make one invalid and another one valid, you know, or, you know, it's just kind of all these different variations and I'm simplifying it, simplifying it, but there's a lot to this, isn't it? Yeah. And I, yes, I think the short answer is, you know, a lot of times we've come, first of all, the, the thing is, is, especially nowadays in today's day and age, everybody thinks they can be an expert because they can go watch a YouTube video or they can go read something online. And well, this said this online. Well, sometimes that is there, there's some good material and articles out there, but there's, you know, it's usually high level. It's usually just a cursory introduction, getting you to start to understand what you're doing. And it's not that you're going to have, you're not going to become an expert in, in the legal field, in any legal field within a matter of watching a YouTube video. But I think that the bigger point is, is what you're looking for with any, when you're, especially with intellectual property, with patent or trademarks, is an attorney that is going to spend the time to help you understand and walk you through the process. In other words, that's a lot of, and, and there's a bit of misalignment a lot of times with law firms and incentives. They're trying to get you through as quickly as they can. They're trying to minimize the amount of back and forth of training and teaching because they just want to get the matter. They want to get it done. They want to bill you for it. and They want to move on to the next matter. And yet as a startup, small business, someone that's less experienced, if you haven't been through it before, that's the thing that you need the most is you need that understanding of, hey, here's a process. Yeah, you can do a patent search. Patent search gives you an idea of what's out there. It's not even a guarantee on patentability. It just gives you a better idea of what the landscape is. But once you do the patent, that's just the beginning of the process. And then you have to prepare a patent and then you have to file it. And then you have to go through the examination process with the examiner to determine patentability. And that can be a couple, you know, multiple rounds back and forth to identify what's different, unique with your invention. And there's all those steps. And if you're looking for someone, especially as if you're new to the, the field or new to the, you know, the experience and it's the first time you're going through, I think you have to, as much when you're looking for an attorney, find those that are willing to make sure that, you know, you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to have go through all of law school, but are taking the time that explaining what the process is and why you might need it and why you might not need it and giving you that understanding. And that I think is what is missing in the field. But that's the one that I think sets you apart from finding an attorney that really is valuable and is going to help you as your business grows 
versus one that's just going to do the legal matter, send you on your way. And you're thinking, well, I think I got some value out of this. I think it was worthwhile, but I'm not really sure. We'll see how it works out. And that's, you know, that's the worst takeaway or the worst position to be in because now you just spent a whole bunch of money and you're really not sure what you got for it. Is it, has it, it, what's your experience in regards to how long it typically takes to get a patent um, filed issue, you know, everything, the whole scenario? How long? Two years? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to define. I want to, I want to give the knee-jerk answer, which is it depends. And I'll give you a couple reasons why it depends. And then I'll definitely answer your question as to kind of what the average is. You know, some of the factors is the reason that you're going to get a it depends answer is it depends on how unique or how novel or innovative your invention is. Does it, you know, we work with some clients that, hey, this is just a incremental or improvement on something that's already out there, which is, can be valuable. Don't get me wrong. That's why you have the iPhone one versus two versus three, and they're continuing to build, make better features or making the screen bigger. They're making the closer to the border. They're making all of these improvements, but iPhone 1 versus iPhone 13 is much different than BlackBerry to iPhone, and there's a lot more innovation. So the, one of the questions that plays a lot of time to factor into how long the process takes of determining patentability is how crowded of a field are you in and how innovative or how unique your invention is, because that can do it. The other one is, is it depends on as you're going out, you'll get a couple different types of attorneys or different approaches that some attorneys will take. Some attorneys will just start as broad as you know possible, you know, earthly possible to describe your invention, which in that sense, they're trying to say, hey, the justification is, is we're going to start as broad as at all reasonably possible to get as much coverage as you can with your invention. And yet, usually what you do is you end up going through multiple processes of pairing it back because that broad idea is going to be way too broad and you have to find a reasonable, you know, reasonable middle of ground for what is actually inventive about your invention on the so that's kind of one extreme on the other extreme you're going to say hey you know you can get an attorney that's going to say hey let's take a middle of the road middle ground approach that we think this is a reasonable scope for what your invention should cover and then if we get that we there's still options and avenues to expand that out later down the road if you want to chase that and so those are kind of the things that kind of the tug and pull of how broad do you want? How broad is your attorney going to draft it? How crowded is the field? And it kind of gives you different variations. And that's why whenever you try and pin down an attorney, how long is this process going to take? They're always going to say, well, it depends. Now, on average, if you're to get a invention that is you know reasonably inventive, it's not too crowded of a field, and you get an attorney that takes you kind of that middle of the road, hey, we're not going to try and just go for multiple rounds to just get, eke out what's going to be about the same as whatever, where you're going to end up with, with the middle of the ground approach, you're going to be looking at 18 to 24 months is probably a reasonable time to go through the process. Now, you can expedite that if you want to pay some extra fees with the Patent and Trademark Office. It can take longer if you have a very crowded field and you're doing a, or incremental variation of something that's out there. But I usually plan on about 18 to 24 months as an average. So what, what do you think the percentage of people that come to you um, who are getting patents and, you know, and go through with it, what percentage of them are getting it because um, you think it's going to make, it's going to make their company that more valuable down the road and versus the percentage that get it because they want to protect something they have. 
Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, I would say there's a percentage that walk through the door that are saying, especially if you're you're less mature, or you have you're less experienced in a startup, and you're just getting going. They're just doing it because they saw it on Shark Tank, or they saw it on The Profit, or they saw it on, heard about it on a podcast. And, oh, that sounds like I should probably need it now. That's maybe a good introduction. And you know, there is reasons why you hear about it because there's value. But once you come in the door, then it's more. I think that the probably the best questions you should walk away understanding is why. Do you need a patent for your business and why that why it would matter to your business in the sense that some of, you know, I would say that a the biggest driving fear that takes or that gets people started is, hey, I'm going I don't want somebody to come along and rip this off. And so I want to have a protection that somebody else doesn't come along and steal my great idea. I think that's a an initial motivator. But I think we're so that's probably where a lot of people start out with. Where they hopefully where they end up with is, hey, this is a strategical asset within my business that I'm going to leverage in order to grow it with either looking at whether I'm doing a merger and acquisition licensing, I'm doing venture capital, I'm looking to carve out a piece of the marketplace, which allows me to grow and and, and may, or keep competition at bay for all of my investment. And that's where you should end up. So I think it's kind of a a walking along the process to where you probably come, you know, some people come in because they, somebody's told them they need it or they saw it on a TV show. Then they say, well, I don't want, I'm going to look and put all this money in. I need to protect it to, Hey, now how do we leverage this as an asset of the business? So I would say rather than just, you know, percentage of one versus the other, it's kind of a maturity as your business grows, you tend to get or understand better how it fits in with your business. And hopefully you can get that education of that information more on the front end as you're getting started. So let's put you, put you through a scenario that someone calls you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And says, uh, Devin, I have this great in invention. Okay. I don't know if I want to go to the intellectual or product or whatever, but I have this great invention. I think it's very unique. Um, and, uh, I want to get a patent on it. Okay. Tell me the, some of the questions that you would ask that person uh, and, and to kind of ferret out their idea. Yeah. I mean, the first question I'll probably ask is a fairly open-ended question. I would say, hey, you know, not getting into all the details of how the invention works, but give me the 30,000 foot view of what your invention is or what you're looking to do. Because one, it may be something that's not patentable and we'd want to identify that earlier. Two, they may have been out and they may have missed deadlines and maybe they've been out selling it for two years and they missed their deadlines. Or three, it may be something to where they're saying, hey, it's really already out there. And there's a high likelihood, that, you know, it'd be surprising how many people when you come and say, I've got this great invention. It's going to change the world and <laughs> oh, I'm going to yeah. make millions of dollars. And then you say, OK, tell me a little bit about your invention. They start to walk you through and say, you know, I'm pretty sure I've seen something out there. Why don't we take just, you know, take five minutes and let's just look, search for it online together and. More often, you know, not a ton, but, you know, more often than you think people come and you say, we take that five minutes and they say, so is this what you're thinking about? Like, oh, yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I'm thinking about. It's like, well, then you might want to reconsider what your business is because it's not going to be on an innovation or breakthrough product. And if you're still planning on selling that product, it's going to be you better have a really good marketing plan or a strategy to differentiate differentiate yourself and break through the breakthrough into the marketplace and get it to people. It's not going to be intellectual property. And so that's kind of the first thing I would do is say, help me get an you know high level view of what your invention is so that we can see what is the next steps it could be. Because depending on if it's something that's not patentable 
already out there. You missed your deadlines or it's really valuable and you should absolutely get a patent on it. That's the first step as to, I think, identifying what those next next steps are. Yeah. And so, and also to be clear too, is I think, I think the term is called prior art, right? That where you, even if a person like has never applied for a patent, right? If they, if there's prior artwork or there's prior, if there's stuff on the internet about someone who's doing it already, then you can't apply for a patent. Is that true? You can always apply. You're just not going to get one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing to stop you from applying for any yeah. a patent that's already out there, but it doesn't give you any value because you're never going to get it. So, yeah, I mean, on patents, there are really two standards for patentability. And that's kind of what there's more. But there are two primary ones that you should really be as you're getting into thinking about. And one that's called one's called novelty and the other one that's called obviousness. And that's kind of where prior art comes in. So novelty is is anybody else previously invented this or this product or this invention? If it's already out there, whether or not they got a patent on it, if it's already been invented and it's already out there, whether it's online, whether it's, you know, on, you know, been in publications, presentations, it's already been filed on a patent. It's out there somewhere in the public that it would be found. You can't get a patent on something that's already been invented. And so that's where prior art comes in. It's that's those things that have already been invented. The second one is obviousness is basically saying, okay, well, not one person invented it, but if you were to take two or more things that are already out in the marketplace, put those together, you're not, that's what your invention is. You're really not adding anything. You're just taking a couple of things already out in the marketplace and putting them together. And so those are kind of those two standards we have to look at and say, has anybody else invented this? Is this an obvious combination of what's already out there? If you're, if you don't hit one of those criteria, somebody's already invented it or it's an obvious combination, you, you can't get a patent on it. Now, on the flip side is most of the time, if you're going through a lot of time, money and effort trying to create something, most of the time, people are going to say before they get to that level, they're going to take a, take a step back and they're going to see if somebody else has already done this. In other words, a lot of times where people start out with, hey, I've got a great idea or, hey, I have this need and I'll, this is what I think would fill this need. And they're going to go and search and they're going to see if somebody else has created and invented it. And if they haven't, then they're going to start to sol- try and solve the problem themselves. And so that's where you have to then drill down and say, okay, what was the problem I was trying to solve? And what is my solution? Why is it different? Why couldn't I find this out in the marketplace? And let's focus on that. Most of the time, if you drill down on what is what you're trying to solve and how you're trying to solve it and what was your way of fixing it, then you're going to address those both of those uh, two criteria. Because if it was already out there, you just go buy it from somebody else and don't go do, don't go do something that's already out there. Try and be inventive, and then hey, if all I could do is I just could take hey, I see this out in the marketplace, see this out in the marketplace. Hey, it take me five minutes to put these two together. Then that's you're just going to go buy those two things, put them together, and that's going to solve your problem. So that's where you want to take a step back is to say, what am I doing to create something different, and why did I create it, or why did I create it? Why why did uh, take a step way 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 back to sure. into your college days? Um, why did the patent office begin? Well, what was the purpose? Yeah, I mean, you can. This is basically goes back to the the founding of the country, at least in the U.S. and really before that. And it can go back to the really the if you were to go in a broad sense, the first patent was or patents are giving you an exclusivity on an invention. If you were to take the general concept, and it goes all the way back to salt. If you were to go back into um, the you know the or uh, other countries, they were giving a exclusivity on salt sales because salt was a preservative that used to keep our food or lasting longer. And the king would issue 
basically exclusivity on salt. And because and the reason is, is they had they wanted to get out there. They needed somebody that was going to go out, find the salt, mine it. They were going to get it out of the earth. They were going to uh, bring it to the marketplace. They're going to sell it. That was a large endeavor. And most people are basically saying, I'm not going to go. It was a much riskier proposition than what it is today. And so they're saying because of that, we need to have some sort of if we go put all this investment, we need to be able to recoup that investment. So that's why when you get into the founding of the country, they were in the U.S. They were looking to spur innovation. They wanted to be creative. They wanted to incentivize businesses, incentivize people to invest in creating new ways and different ways of doing things. And now the flip side is, is most of the time when you're investing in something is, first of all, it's unknown. It's highly risky. It's unknown. You don't know if it's going to work and you don't know if it's, you know, how well it's going to work. You don't know how much it's going to cost. You don't know the likelihood of success. And so you're saying, hey, I've got all this risk. And the problem is, is if I don't have some, and let's say I do go out and create something kind of like what I said with the magic trick is once everybody knows the magic trick, it's a lot easier to replicate or reverse engineer something. And same thing with a lot of innovations. Once you've created it, people can look at it, pick it apart and say, oh, I can recreate that. I can do the same. And so you kind of got this barrier to where people aren't going to want to invest. If, on the other hand, somebody can come along and just knock it off, copy it or otherwise or reap all the rewards of the, their hard work while not having to put in the investment themselves. And so that's where the patent system kind of came along and says, well, we want to or spur innovation. We want to people to invest. We want people to make something new. And, you know, the trade off is, is if we're going to do that, we have to allow them to have some sort of exclusivity for a period of time to recoup that cost and that risk that they're putting into doing that. And so they said, OK, that's where you set up the patent system to say, OK, people can go. And they can create something, they can innovate, they can file for patent, they get it, they get 20 years of exclusivity for that invention. And then the other thing on top of that, the other motivation was, is they want also part of the trade-off with the patent is you you provide all the details of your invention. You get 20 years of exclusivity, but you have to provide all the details of your invention. And the other thing is during that 20 years, you can also have people that are figuring out ways to improve that. In other words, they can go see how you're doing it, what you're doing, and then say, you know, as an example, I come up with black and white television. I'm the first one to create black and white television. It is awesome. Now, because my invention's out there, I patented it, people can say, I'm doing it and say, now how do we make this into color? How do we get better sound quality? How do we get more channels? How do we do all these different things? Because I put that invention out there and now I have the exclusivity, other people can now start to build on top of it. So it's kind of both of those. Hey, one is let's incentivize people to invest in the company. Let's incentivize them to take that risk. And two, let's make it so people can have that information to further improve the technology. So you get three answers to this question. It's multiple choice. It's, right. and I'm gonna, it's a yes, a no, and it's I don't know. <laughs> All right. Okay. Is there a patent office in Germany? We'll go with, I'll go. Oh, with, I, don't I, don't know. Know. I don't know the answer. So you got, I can't grade you. <laughs> I, 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 almost every, I, there's all developed countries have a patent office within there. Now, the reason I hesitate is, is whether or not there's an actual office in Germany is with the EU, they can actually, excluding Brexit with the UK, you can actually get a given patent. In for EU. All of the okay. EU. So that's why, I, that's why I hesitated is there is a patent office for Germany. I don't know if there's one located yeah, so in Germany. So it's fair enough. It's, well, that. that solves one of the questions because I was going to ask you about a couple of different countries. But so the EU, they have a patent office just like the United States has a patent office. Now, uh, uh, one, just one other, uh, Russia. 
not part mm-hmm. of the EU. Does Russia have a patent office? So I would say almost there's like 182 different countries wow. that all have patent offices. Wow. And so almost you take any reasonably developed. Now, the, the level of maturity and the level of sophistication grows as a com- or country evolves. Uh-huh. But almost every country has a patent office. And so I've had clients have done everything from China to Japan to Russia to the EU to the uh, UK to Canada to China or to Mexico to Brazil to Australia to all of those have their own patent offices and they all they all have reasonably similar rules, but they also have country specific rules. So I would say yes on Russia. They're not part of the EU. They would have their own patent office. Um, EU, they have they they have a central body that determines it for the for the, the EU. But all con- all reasonably developed countries are all going to have. a. So patent I, office. so I said I had, it was my last question, but I, I, I lied. I have another question. China. <laughs> right. Yep. Does chi- so, yeah, China-, China has wow. a patent office. What is good is it? <laughs> you know, it's better than it used to be. And that's kind of the, one of the questions that comes up. And I'll, I'll give a couple thoughts on that. Because first question that people say is, well, I want to go do manufacturing in China. So I obviously need a patent on that. And it's not quite true in the sense that what your patent does is if where you want to get a patent on is where you're going to actually be selling your product or where you're at, where your customer base is. And so if you're going to go and you're going to have manufacturing in China, but your whole customer base, 95% of your customers are all located in the U.S., get a U.S. patent because a U.S. patent still allows you to stop it from being sold in the U.S., stops it being manufactured, stops it being imported. And so it gives you the protection in the U.S. And so to some degree, if you make it in China and you have no or no intentions of selling in China, I wouldn't worry about China because, great, let them go knock it off. If they start coming to the U.S., you need to stop it when it comes to the U.S. But if they want to go knock it off in China and you have no intentions to grow or build your business in China, don't worry about it. Now, the second part to that is, does China have a patent office? Yes. Are they, they're getting better than what they used to be. So a lot of times where they used to be, it was, I would put it as a bit of a cultural difference between the U.S. and between China, as far as why there's a difference in the patent office. U.S., from its inception, as I said, there was a, there is a very strong sense in the U.S. of individual property rights. It's baked into the Constitution. It's baked into most of the culture of, hey, I can own something. If I own my property, if I own my land, I own my land. Nobody's going to come take my land away. It's mine. It's my business. It's my idea. Whereas uh, generally for a long period of time in China, it was the opposite. It was, hey, you can't own an idea. If you create something, it's open or it's owned by everybody. Everybody can use it. It's for the general welfare. It's for the general good. And so there was kind of that difference in cultural view. So for a long period of time, China kind of said, well, intellectual property is kind of something that's put to the side. And they said, well, you can't own an idea. We're, you know, we're going to take any good idea and we're going to see if we can make it better. or We're going to rip it off and sell it to somebody else. Now, the issue, the reason it's improving is, is China has got a bigger player on the world stage. The other countries are saying, we're not going to play with you if you're going to come and just sell, sell all of our good ideas, rip it off, and otherwise not going to be a, a good player because now you're, we're disincentivized from ever using, you know, being, or, working with you. And so China's almost been forced it's, as they've come to a bigger player on the world stage, as they've evolved as a country and as a culture, they've had to improve their patent system. Now, is it as good as a lot of other countries? I think it still needs a lot of work, but I think it's made a, a considerable improvement versus where it was at 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Huh, interesting. Um, how, how busy are you nowadays during COVID? Did you get... Michael, did you get more busy? 
Yeah. Um, yes. Um, the, the short answer, if I had to do that, is yes. You know, a couple of interesting things that came out of COVID is there was a lot more people doing startups and small businesses. And otherwise, first of all, they had more time because they were in lockdowns. So one, they didn't, you know, they may not have been working as much. The company may have been shut down. Two, they didn't have to commute as much. So they had more free time on their hands. And then they were also getting a lot of times stimulus checks from the government. They're saying, hey, if I have my all my things covered, now I'm going to put this money towards an idea or something that I've always wanted to pursue or do. So I've got time on my hands. I can't go and do anything else. And I may have a bit more expendable income. And all of that has spurred a lot more people to, one, try and go out and do their own business, try and do their own startup and uh, be able to explore ideas. And so that has been a boon for us. Now, it, you know, it's a it's an ups and downs. Every business has up and down. But overall, it's been it's been busier because people are trying to do that. The other thing that was we positioned ourselves well before COVID is when I set up my law firm is really my I was intellectual property is on the federal level. I can work with people in all 50 states. And so where, why do I need to set up it so that I have this big office, high rise location and I'm having people come in the office and that's the main or way that I get clients when I can work with anybody across all 50 states. And so when I set up the law firm, it was really more, you know, we were doing Zoom before Zoom was cool. We were, we were setting up to work remotely. We were, we had all the systems in place to where we were already working with a lot of clients. I have more, we had more clients out of state before COVID than I had in state. And that trend has only continued to increase because we're looking at helping any startup and small business that needs our services wherever they're located in the U.S. And so that was a longer version of the answer to, yeah, we've seen an uptick. One, because people are now less and less st- or, or ingrained with the idea, hey, I have to find a local law firm that's are going to help me this down the street because half the time for a long time during COVID, they're saying I can't even go into their law office and I can't go see them in person anyway. So why not expand my scope? And then two, they're saying, Hey, I've got more time, money, and, and uh, ability to do things on my hands. I'm going to go try something new. So that that gave us an ability to be well positioned to um, grow and, and and take advantage of that uh, that growth in the marketplace. You ever take equity instead of uh, being paid? My 99.9 percent of the time, no. I've yeah. done it with a couple of businesses, and they're very rare exceptions. So. The general answer is no. So I don't want for you to think, well, I'm going to be that 0.1% of the type because it just doesn't happen, nor do most law firms. And the reason being is, is there's a difference between helping you to understand what a patent is, giving or giving you the, you know, the strategy and the, how you can use it, how you can leverage it, walking through the legal process versus a business, which a business includes evaluating what is a business opportunity? How much money is going to be involved? Who are the team men or who are the teammates? Can I get along with these people? How are we going to enter into the marketplace? Or how are we going to market this? All of those things. Where, where are we going to locate this? All of those things that require a lot more analysis. And most of the time, we're, most, us and most law firms aren't set up to do all that analysis. And then you pile on top of that. There are some fair, most states, including where I'm at, do have rules of ethics that don't fully preclude you from doing it, but largely limit the way that you can go about doing it. So one is we're not set up for doing all that evaluation. Two is the rules of ethics for attorneys with the Bar Association significantly limit how you can go about doing that if you were to do it. And so most law firms are saying, it's just not worth it. We are happy to assist you. We're happy to make connections, introductions, grow, but we're not going to get into that. And the other one that I always feel is on on more, probably a, a bit of a moral issue is, as I look at the cost of a patent, let's say, okay, to get something filed, you know, yes, it's going to be $12,000, let's say, throughout the whole process to get something started, let's say $6,000. 
you know, what I would have to do in order to balance off that risk is take such in an earlier stage business. I'd have to take such a high percentage of the business because there's so much unknowns that I don't know because I can go do that valuation. And because I'm not doing the valuation, it makes it I'm going to have to increase it saying I don't know a lot of these things. So my risk goes up. And so it becomes, hey, I'm going to have to take a third of your company or half of your company to go do a six thousand dollar initial patent filing. It just doesn't feel morally right because. It seems like I'm taking a large percentage of a business for something where the input to what we're going to put in versus the amount of money we'd have or equity we'd have to take because of all the unknowns just doesn't balance. And so yeah, I generally is 99.9% of the time or most law firms don't. Yeah, I get it. Well, um, you know, I guess in summary of today's podcast is <clears throat> do your research. If you're a business owner that wants to patent something, Really spend a lot of time understanding if there's something out there like it, you know, what your purpose is before you really kind of dive into it. And then thirdly, lastly, is, you know, look more at the companies that are, you know, the lawyers that aren't part of a big law practice. Maybe look for people like Devin who are, you know, out in Utah, which, you know, doesn't have to charge as much. Uh, he doesn't have as much overhead. You know, all he's doing is hunting and fishing and and uh, skiing out there. So uh, so he can, you know, do those things and uh, still take care of your patents. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, I think those are all great takeaways. And the last one I'd probably just uh, to build on that is if you're looking for an attorney or once you get into that position where you're looking for legal assistance, is find someone that is willing to have what I would say, you know, the heart of a teacher. In other words, they're not there just to take your money and hurry and get a legal matter done as quick as they can. They are willing to take the time that's to explain fair. and help you to understand. So look for someone that has that heart of a teacher that's helping you to understand why you're doing it and what the process is. And that's going to be the last thing I would add on to that as well. Well, that's good stuff. All good stuff to know. It really kind of... Um, as you build your business, this is stuff that you get into uh, when you really start to understand how to run a business and then you kind of move into these next couple of steps. Uh, I think patent's a big part of that, that, you know. So, you know, I'd like to thank so very much. That's uh, kind of all the time we have for today, but I'd like to thank so much, very much uh, Devin Miller from Miller IP Law for coming to today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend. And also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118. Or again, visit our website at fscreditline.com. Devin, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give a couple different ways, depending on what you're wanting to get in touch with me for. So we offer a free one-on-one -on -one strategy meeting where we can sit down for 15, 20 minutes, either virtually or in our office, however you want to meet with us, and chat through your business, kind of kind of almost what we did with, hey, let's talk about what is your invention, what should you be considering, what are the costs, what are the timeframes, all of that's included in that strategy meeting. So they can go to strategymeeting.com, they can grab some time, There's a cal it has my calendar right there, All anytime that's available, they can grab it and, and uh, definitely uh, and set aside some time to chat. So strategymeeting.com is a great one. If they're just wanting to find out more about the law firm, our flat fees, we have a ton of educational material. We have blogs, we have videos, we have a podcast, we have about any way that you can consume it or information, we offer it. And they can go to lawwithmiller.com. That's an easy way to find out about the law firm. 
The last one is if they want to connect up with me on LinkedIn, I, I'm not on a ton of social platforms. I do. I am a big or a fan and advocate of LinkedIn. And so they can go to meetmiller.com. That links right to my LinkedIn. So meetmiller.com if you want to connect up with me on LinkedIn. Lawwithmiller.com. Check out our website and strategy or strategymeeting.com to grab a one-on-one session with me. Good stuff. And your phone number if they want to reach out to you? Absolutely. Phone number is uh, 801-829-8446. So they're welcome to, to call or text that number as well and definitely happy to chat that way. Good stuff. Thanks, Devin, for coming on. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure and I had a blast. If, if, you, if our listeners are interested in getting any new business ideas, I tweet daily about lessons for business owners at S. Halasnik, which is my name. So it's at S-H-A-L-A-S-N-I-K. And for all those out there, Uh, You guys are doing all great work. Keep it up. Um, And just remember, if you're going to be going and thinking about getting a patent, do the research before you actually go call a lawyer and then maybe speak to a couple. And Devin's probably a good one to call first. All right, everybody. Have a fantastic day.